Well, good morning, church family. We're so thankful for your presence today. It's a beautiful Lord's Day morning, and we're glad that you're here. It's crisp and cool, and we're expecting winter weather uh, throughout this week, especially, I'm told, tomorrow we're supposed to get a lot of snow, and so that makes me very excited because that means snow ice cream. That's pretty much the only thing I care about. I don't care about snowmen. I don't care about snow angels. I only want snow ice cream. In fact, I was so excited for snow, thinking we would get snow this winter, and I mean December, January winter, <coughs> that uh, I was so anxious for it and it never came that I just went and bought an ice cream maker, uh, just one of those electric ones that you plug in and put on your kitchen counter. And I used it, I think, once, and it was only okay, but it was like $60, so that makes it even worse. And I only did it because I just wanted homemade ice cream. And that's not really even homemade ice cream. It's more like a frozen cream kind of thing. But this, this is real ice cream, assuming it snows tomorrow. This will be real snow ice cream. And that's really all that I care about in the world. <clears throat> well, today, today is February. Today, for those of you who are the romantic types, for those of you who are in a relationship, whether that be a boyfriend-girlfriend thing, or a fiancé-fiancé thing, or a husband-wife thing, uh, today is a special day for you. Today is the day you're supposed to remember, the day you're supposed to mark on your calendar to buy flowers, to buy candy, to buy goodies, to buy something, to give to that person that you love, and to provide them that expression of your um, love for them in a monetary format. That's what today is. I mean, yes, it's Sunday, it's the day, that all comes first, but in terms of the calendar, you only get one of these a year, and that's Valentine's Day. So that's what today is. Now, I'm telling you that. Hopefully, you already know that. Hopefully, you've already made preparations and plans for that. Otherwise, it's too late now because I've already let the cat out of the bag. And if you haven't already given away whatever it was you're supposed to have, well, that's too bad for you. But today, being Valentine's Day, I thought it might be appropriate since it only falls on a Sunday, you know, very rarely, once every, I guess, seven years, is that how it works? Every eight years. Um, this being Valentine's Day and this also being the Lord's Day, I thought let's use sermon time to focus on the holiday of the day. And let's kind of just take a break from the theme that we have going on this year, that being our look at love your neighbor. Obviously, if you want to, you can make all kinds of applications, and you can draw your own connections, and you can make it all work, but I'm not going to do that, because you don't have to get a sermon every single week that ties into the theme. There are some holidays and some special occasions and things going on where we're not necessarily going to relate to uh, our theme for the year. This is one of them. I tell you, next month, I know there's another sermon that I'm going to do. Um, I think it's next month. Mother's Day is next month. That's that we'll have a Mother's Day sermon. That, that won't necessarily tie in with the theme. We'll have a Halloween-themed sermon in October. We'll have a Thanksgiving-themed sermon in November. We'll have a Christmas-themed sermon in December. Holidays are holidays. They are days that we set aside and we make special, so we, we like to lean into those in our sermons. They don't always necessarily tie back into the overall theme we're considering. You're still going to get 360, or not 360, let's say 45 out of 52 You'll still get that many sermons apart uh, that relate to the theme. But this morning, let's just consider something related to Valentine's Day. And honestly, it's not even anything that remarkable. All I have for you this morning are just some random Valentine's thoughts. I, I, I don't have one big theme. I don't have one big idea that we're going to consider. 
We're going to be all over the Bible this morning, but I don't have one particular text. It's just, it's not going to be that deep of a study. It's just going to be four random Valentine's thoughts that I had that I wanted to share with you. That's it. Can we do that this morning? Just have a little easy breezy sermon. I'll tell you this, next week I'm going to preach. Next week's sermon is Next week's sermon goes into a lot of depth about the Bible itself, and I'm really excited about the sermon. So it's going to be so deep that I'm making up for it prematurely this week by giving you a sermon that's very shallow, very simple, very easy breezy. So let me share with you four Valentine's-themed thoughts unrelated to one another. Thought number one, and that is this, a message from Paul. Let's just take in, first of all this morning, a word, a statement, a mark from Paul, who says, there were bells on the hill, but I never heard them ringing, no, I never heard them at all, till there was you. That, of course, is not Paul the Apostle. You may have been expecting Paul the Apostle. He'll show up in just a second. That was actually Paul the McCartney. That was from the Beatles song, Till There Was You. Actually, it's from an older song than that. The Beatles did a cover of it uh, on, I think, maybe their second album or their third, Till There Was You. But it's from the movie The Music Man, one of the great musicals uh, ever made. And that's just a famous song from it. And Paul McCartney did a cover of it for, um, for the band The Beatles. Till There Was You. Beautiful, beautiful song. Beautiful love song. But what I love the most about this love song is that it's not like traditional love songs which just sing about being in love or sing about how much you love that person or how much they love you. Like 99% of all music you even hear on the radio in, in general, not just love songs, but just 99% of all music is either about getting a girl, having a girl, getting a guy, having a guy, losing a guy, losing a girl, winning back a guy, winning back a girl. That's it. They're all about relationships. This song is also about that, but it's not, it's not so simple. It's not so me loving you and singing about it. What this song is about is how much the singer loves being in love. It, it, he's, he's just, he hears the bells, and he hears the birds, and he hears and sees the sunrise, and it just, there's all these beautiful images. And he says, they were always around, but I never noticed them. I never saw them. I never heard them. I never paid any attention to them until there was you. He sings to his lover. Until I had you in my life, I never noticed these wonderful things. So yes, it's about how great that person is, but really the song is about how wonderful it is just to be in love. How much he loves being in love. And that reminds me of something the other Paul wrote. The one about Jesus Christ. He wrote this about Jesus Christ, Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. Now this is a wonderful, marvelous statement by the Apostle Paul. And it is so uh, beautifully stated that we have turned it into a song. It may not be as famous as the songs from the Music Man, but it's one of my favorite hymns. It's one of my favorite songs to sing in praise to God. And it's, it describes not just my relationship with Christ, it describes just not, not just what Jesus has done for me, it describes how much I love that I have this relationship with Christ. I get to say, I am crucified with Christ. I am put to death with Christ. 
And nevertheless, despite the fact that I've been put to death, I get to be alive. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Well, how is that possible? Well, it's not me, but Christ that lives in me. And about this life that I now live, I live it by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a beautiful expression of how much Paul and me, when I read it and apply it to myself, loves just the fact that I get to be a child of God. That I get to say I am crucified. That I live despite dying. And that I do it all through Jesus Christ who lives in me. That's a beautiful word from Paul. That's your first Valentine. Random thought. Random thought number two. Let's talk about the saddest candy gram. The inspiration behind this point came from me several years ago um, in a post-Valentine's scrounge looking for some candy. You know, there's always a lot of candy in the house on the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th. And then around the 16th and the 17th, it starts to taper off. And the 18th, basically nothing left. And then by the 19th, you're getting withdrawals. Where, there, where's the candy? There used to be candy. There should be Reese's and pieces of Reese's all over the place, and there are none of them. And so you start to scrounge. You start to look. You start to scavenge. You start to hunt. And I hate candy grams. I hate their taste. I hate their texture. I hate their little shape. They're never satisfying. They're never filling. They're just nasty, nasty pieces of candy. But that was, at the time, the only candy that we had left in the house. So, desperate, I dove into the bag. And the first one that I found said, love you. Fine, whatever, pop it in my mouth. And the next one that I found said, be mine. Fine, whatever, pop it in my mouth. But the next one I found said, yours forever. Fine, whatever, pop it in my mouth. But the next one I found, the next one I found said, miss you. And I did not just pop it in my mouth. Instead, I looked at it for a second. This is a true story. I looked at it and I thought to myself, self, I'll bet you there's something you can do with this. Because this has got to be the saddest candy gram that I've ever seen. Who writes on the candy gram? Miss you. That implies you're not with that person. Like, think about the other ones. Of you. You say that to the person right there. Be mine. You say that to the person right there. Yours forever. Or whatever it says. They're almost always, and in fact, they're almost always but one time something that you could say to the person right there next to you. But when you say miss you, by definition, the person cannot be right there because you miss them. You wish you were with them, but you're not with them anymore. It's the saddest candygram because it expresses love in separation. It expresses love, but there is a twinge of disappointment. There's a twinge of poignancy. There's this twinge of lacking in the expression. And it reminds me of two people who had a sad moment occur to them with regards to someone who loved them very much. And because of their bad decisions, they were separated from that one who loved them very much. And one of them realized how much he missed him and wanted to go back. The first of those two people is Judas Iscariot. 
about whom we read these words. This is Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, him being Jesus, when he saw that he, Jesus, was condemned, Judas repented himself. Judas, put literally, felt regret. He finally realized what the consequences of his actions were. His actions, which to this point had only been to get money. And now that he's gotten his money, now that he's satisfied that urge, scratched that itch, now he starts to see the big picture and realize just what he's done to someone else, namely Jesus. And so he felt regret in himself. And he brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they scornfully, apathetically, lovelessly say, what is that to us? You see to it. You take care of that yourself. That's your problem. Our cause is not hurt. Our hearts are not broken. It's your problem, not ours. These are not loving people. But these are the people that Judas put himself in league with. These are the people that Judas conspired with. These are the people that Judas decided to team up with when he had been part of Team Jesus. When he had been with the Lord. When he had been working with Him. And he would have, had he stayed with Him, found love and found compassion and found forgiveness. But to these people, he gets none of those things. And it's at this point Judas starts to realize, I've made a terrible mistake. I have gotten in bed with the worst kind of people. I have betrayed the best to be with the worst. And so again, they say, what is that to us? You see to it. You take care of that however you need to. And he cast down the 30 pieces of silver into the temple, and he went out, and then he did something he should never have done. He hung himself. Here's what he could have done. He could have gone to his master, the one that he betrayed, the one that he rejected, the one that he condemned to death. He could have gone to his master and begged forgiveness. Now, I know Jesus was preoccupied at the time. But you know what? Had, Jesus, had Judas just hung on a little longer? Had he contemplated the consequences a little longer? Had he felt remorse for a little bit longer and not done something so rash as he did? Jesus would have risen. He would have met the disciples. He could have found Judas. And he would have forgiven Judas. But Judas felt remorse in the separation. He felt regret in the distance. But he did not think to himself, I miss him. I want to be with him again. His thought was purely about, I've made a mistake. I've done something bad. And he goes and does what he does. The other person is Peter. Who denies the Lord not once, not twice. But three times. Peter rejects Jesus just as Judas rejected Jesus. Except he rejects Jesus not once like Judas, but three times. Three times turns his back on Jesus. Three times stabs him in the back. Three times has the opportunity to side with him. To stand with him. To be part of his team. And instead says, no, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't even know who that is. He lies. Three times he denies. And then... As with Judas, everything in reality crashes down around him. And he starts to realize, the rooster crows, he starts to realize the consequences of his actions. But the difference between Judas and Peter are, are numerous. But in this case, Judas realized his consequences, the consequences of his actions, meant Je Jesus dying. 
because he betrayed G Jesus so that he could be arrested, put to the cross. So there was a very clear and direct actions have consequences for Judas. With Peter, there's nothing Peter did that directly affects Jesus personally in terms of his life and death. But you know what Peter experienced? When Peter denied the Lord, the Bible says that the Lord turned and looked on Peter. What Peter had to realize was the consequences of his actions was the person that he loved and the person who loved him felt shame and disappointment and hurt and heartache and all the things that Jesus certainly felt about Judas but didn't get the chance to express with his eyes as he did look straight at Peter as he denied him the third time. And what did Peter do? He went out and wept bitterly. But that's not the end of Peter's story. As you know, lingered. He felt continued remorse. He made a pledge to himself to do better and to change. And he hung around until the third day when Jesus rose. And then Peter repented. And Peter was forgiven. And Peter went on to live a beautiful life of faith and service to Christ. Because in Peter's heart, he thought, I have hurt this one that I love. I am no longer with him, and I miss him. I miss you, Jesus. That's the attitude that we must have when we sin. If our attitude is strictly about, oh, now I've done something, and now I'm going to be punished. If it's all about you, you haven't learned the lesson. When you sin, you hurt someone else. When you sin, you hurt Jesus Christ. You break his heart. So think about that and what you're doing to your loved one and miss him enough to want to repent and go back to him as Peter did. Point number three. Random Valentine thought number three. How does God love us? If I just left it at that, you might think, all right, let's dig into the particulars. Let's understand the mind of God versus the mind of man. But wait, wait, no, this is just a Valentine's sermon. How does God love us? Let us count the ways. First of all, he loves us unconditionally. Luke 15, verse 10, Jesus says, there is joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. That statement spurs him to teach the parable of the what we call the prodigal son, which is actually the parable of the forgiving father. Because there are two sons who betray their father. There are two sons who do wrong. And there are two sons to whom the father entreats and pleads to come home. One who does, the other, the invitation is left open by the end of the parable. But the point of the parable is that God is willing to forgive you when you repent. That God is willing to take you back no matter how much you do, no matter how bitter is your heart, no matter how wicked is your actions, no matter what you've done, God is willing to bring you back because the love of God is unconditional. He is always going to love you. And if you repent, He is always going to forgive you. So there is never, and I've had people say it to me, there is never a place for someone saying, well, I've done too much. You cannot. Well, I've gone too far. It can't be done. Well, I've made too many mistakes. I bet you not. I know you haven't. Because if he's willing to forgive Peter, and if he was willing to forgive Judas, and if he's willing to forgive Paul, who murdered, and if he's willing to forgive me for what I've done, then I know he can forgive you for what you've done. You cannot go too far. If, you're not, if you are prepared to turn around again. You cannot wander too far from home. 
that you can't come back again if you'd only turn around and start the journey. How does he love us? Let us count the ways. First, he loves us unconditionally. Second, he loves us unworthily. What does Paul say in Romans 5 verse 8? When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet on occasion for a good man some might dare to die. But God, here's the verse, but God commends his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, listen to that text. How does God love us? Well, it is, it is common to find, you, to find yourself. It's easy to love someone who loves you. It's easy to find someone who is loving. But it is not so common to love an unrighteous person, to love an unloving person. In fact, rarely will you find someone to die even for a good person. Certainly never will you find someone willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for a bad person, the ultimate expression of love for a bad person, and yet God, the King James says, commendeth his love toward us. But God gave us an expression of his love. In what way? In that while we were still sinners, here's how much he loves us, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. Scarcely, that's what the text says, scarcely for a good man. Some might die. I mean, every now and then, uh, on the random occasion, it could happen. But never for a bad person. Never for a wicked person. And yet God showed us how much he loves us. How does he love us? Let us count the ways. He loves us when we're not worthy of it. When we're dirty, stinking sinners. He was willing to die for us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us unworthily. How does he love us? Count the ways. He loves us, number three, unbendingly. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him does not have to perish but have, could have everlasting life. No matter how much wickedness he saw, and I always... Maybe it's just me, but I always contrast John 3.16 with, of all verses, Genesis chapter 6. The beginning couple of verses of that chapter. Because they, they both, in my mind, they both involve God looking down at the world and seeing wickedness and evil and seeing rebellion and rejection. And in the Old Testament, responding with a flood that destroys the sin of the world and spares righteous Noah. And in the New Testament, sending a flood of the blood of Jesus Christ, which washes away the sin and creates a righteous people. In both cases, he looks down at the world. And in both cases, he is compelled to act. And in the case of John 3.16, he looked at the world and he so loved it. He looked at the world and he loved it so much that he was willing to give his one genetic son, only begotten, one genetic son, so that we could become his adopted sons and daughters. So that we could become his family. We who were sinners could be made righteous. We who were lost can be saved. That's how much he loves us. How does he love us? He loves us unbendingly. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us unfathomably. You can't wrap your mind around it. That's your third point. Last one, and then we're done. 
fourth random Valentine thought, and that's this. may be relevant to you. You may need to work on this this afternoon if you forgot to buy flowers this morning or you forgot to buy them yesterday and deliver them this morning, and that is how to write the perfect love letter. Not everybody is creative like that. Some people just rely on what the card says. That's fine. Uh, I, I, I certainly am no uh, Casanova. I have a, a myriad of faults and, and failures and failings as a husband and as you know a, a loved one to my spouse. But every now and then, I'll get the itch. I don't do it on a regular schedule, just whenever the mood strikes me. And it used to be more often in the past than it is in the present. All those caveats are understood. I know all those things. But I have been known to write poetry to my wife. I have been known to write her what you might call love letters. And I know in generations prior, this was much more common. People were courting, and they were away from each other. Um, you would find love letters being exchanged between, between two people. It doesn't happen so much anymore. And so it's kind of gotten out of style. We don't really know how to write the perfect love letter anymore. So let me help you out. Let me tell you how to write the perfect love letter. There's only three parts, just three things you need to know. First of all, you have to have an opening that grabs the attention. Like, for example, the beginning of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness could not grab hold of it. Skip down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then again, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father, which is in the bosom of the Father. Sorry, the only begotten Son, who's in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. There's this little story being told throughout John 1, as John is introducing us and building us up to the time when Jesus' ministry starts. He's introducing us to Jesus by taking us to the beginning of this one who loves us so much he was willing to die for us, John 3.16. And how does he introduce us to us? How does he start this love letter of the life of Jesus? By going back to the beginning when all things began and how he was always there in the beginning. He was the one who made us and formed us and we rebelled against him. And yet he still loves us so much to die for us. You have to have a beginning that grabs the attention. But then... You have to have a middle that tugs at the heartstrings. You have to have a middle that, that pulls the emotional cords of a person. You have to have a middle that, that makes a person weep and makes a person feel. Because if you don't feel for that person, there is no relationship. And that reminds me of John 19. Look at John 19, verses 2 through 6 to start with. horns and put it on his head and they put him on a put on him a purple robe and they said hail king of the jews and they smote him with their hands Pilate therefore went forth again and said to him behold i bring him to you that you may know i find no fault in him then came jesus wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them behold the man when the chief priests and officers saw him they cried out saying crucify him crucify him and Pilate said take him and crucify him but i find no fault in him Skip down to verse 30. When Jesus therefore had finished the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. 
read through verse 34. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, because that was a high day, they besought Pilate that the legs might be broken, the bodies might be taken away. Then came the soldiers to break the legs of the first, and the other crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw he was dead already, they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out blood and water. And that's just the middle of the story. Typically, in a love story, when the hero, when the, when the, when the, when the Romeo dies, that's the end of the story. In fact, that's how Romeo and Juliet ends. They both die, and that's it. But in this case, that's only the middle. When you write the perfect love story, and the story of Jesus and his relationship with you, it's many things, but in a small way, it's a love story of a spiritual kind. And it begins with an opening that grabs the attention. And in the middle, it has a part where your heart starts to break, but then it has an ending. Like all love stories must have an ending that makes you want your loved one to just hurry up Come find you and just sweep you off your feet. And that's John chapter 14. Yes, before this, but look at what he says. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go. Pause. He's already told them he's going. He told them that in John chapter 13, and that's why they were so sad. That's why their hearts were troubled. And now seeing their hearts troubled, he says, let not your heart be troubled. It's going to be okay. Yes, I'm going, but I go, verse 3, to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, there you may be also. If I go to prepare a place for you, I must come again and receive you unto myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus, please don't go. Jesus, don't go you Jesus we don't want to be separated from you we love you and we never want to be separated from our loved ones but Jesus says I must go and I must leave and it must be shortly but if I go I will come again that's a resurrection text by the way not a second coming text I know we use it that way but I don't think of it that way because that's not the context the context is a resurrection text I'm going to go die but I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am you may be also. What is that? That is the church. That is the life of fellowship we have with Jesus Christ. We eat with him every supper meal. We have fellowship with him constantly, 1 John 1, as we walk in the light. We have him as our king. He lives in us. That was the first text we read from Galatians 2.20. We have this relationship so that where he is, we are. And where we are, he is. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. He's always in our si on our sides. He's always with us. And so I sympathize with the disciples. Here's your application to the second coming. I sympathize with the disciples who are crestfallen and sad and mourning as Jesus had to go away from them. But he promised them he'd come back for them. And he did. Three days later, he rose. And then he ascended. And now in a bodily form. Now in a more final way. Now in the big grand finale kind of way we wait for him to return again we wait for him to return from on high not from the ground but from the sky to take us to be with him forevermore we just wait for him to come and sweep us off our feet there's your four random valentine's thoughts i hope you have a great holiday i hope you enjoy the day 
I hope you eat lots of candy and chocolate and you express your love for those who are in your life. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Well, you've already heard about the one who loves you more than anyone can. You've already heard about the one who loved you when you were unlovable, unworthy of unconditionally. The one who loves you more than life itself because for you. And if you're not a Christian or if you're not a faithful Christian, the opportunity is yours to come to Jesus Christ, to receive him and his love, to be put to put on to put him on in baptism, and be added to his kingdom forevermore. If we can help you do that, or help you in some way, let us know how right now as we stand and sing.